Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. Austria came within a whisker of electing a far-right candidate as its head of state this week. In the end, Norbert Hofer lost to his Green opponent, Alexander van der Bellen, by a mere 30,000 votes. You could almost hear the collective sigh of relief from EU leaders who were saved from the agonising dilemma of how to respond to the election of a far-right politician to such a senior position, albeit a largely honorary one in Austria. The bloc largely gave Vienna the cold shoulder in the early 2000s after the Freedom Party, which was founded by former Nazis in the 1950s, entered the government under Jörg Haider. But the fact that almost half of Austrian voters backed a far-right candidate is another milestone for advancing populist forces in Europe and will certainly embolden other far-right groups elsewhere on the continent. Joining me to discuss the election and its ramifications are Ralph Atkins, the FT's Switzerland and Austria correspondent, and Alex Barker, our Brussels bureau chief. Ralph, can I start with you? Was this the high watermark for the far right in Austria, or can we see them making further gains? I think we could see further gains. They got within a whisker of winning the presidency this week. What their eyes are set on now is the chancellorship, which will be decided after national elections, which have to be decided by 2018. And I think the momentum they've generated in this campaign does put them in a good position to become the largest party after those elections. Obviously, it depends how well the grand coalition of the Social Democrats, the People's Party, the parties that have run Austria since the Second World War, how they fare and how they manage to conduct themselves in the next months and, and in years so ahead. But the Freedom Party does have its eye on becoming the largest party after the next elections, which would be an even bigger success. What was Norbert Herfer's appeal? He's not exactly a hugely charismatic politician. Why was it he did so well? A number of reasons. I think there was a lot of genuine concerns and fears about the whole issues created by Europe's refugee crisis, because of course, Austria saw inflows of thousands of refugees who are on their way through the Balkans and then going on to Germany and Sweden. A lot of them did seek asylum in Austria as well. And at times, this whole process did get out of control. The government wasn't able to register all the people coming in. That generated lots of popular fears. Secondly, you have a government that is deeply unpopular, that is seen as not reforming Austria sufficiently. The country is lagging behind in terms of economic performance, its European neighbours. And then, yes, you say uh, Mr. Hofer was not a charismatic figure. He showed empathy. He was uh, softly spoken. He took the rough edges, if you like, off the Freedom Party and therefore made it more electorally attractive. It seemed safer voting for him than maybe it might have seemed in the past. Was this election as much about the weakness of the established mainstream parties as it was about the appeal of the far right? I think it was a protest vote, largely. Mr. Hoffer himself objected being called far-right. He said, I'm not far-right, I'm actually centre-right, rather ignored their Nazi past. I think what he was trying to do was to appeal to the ordinary workers, ordinary voters who felt insecure and worried about their future because of those issues I mentioned, the immigration issues and the economic performance of Austria. Alex, it will be that lesson about the perils of having a stagnating political mainstream that allows populist forces coming in that will really send warning signals, won't it, across the continent? 
Absolutely. Austria is an extreme to a degree, and there's no far-right party that is anywhere near as high in terms of polling uh, in other parts of Europe, but they are making ground, and mainstream parties are losing their grip on the political process. That goes for France, Germany, and right across the north of Europe as well. And so this was very much an unwelcome reminder of the kind of trend in politics across the bloc. And also, we have across Eastern Europe... Although we wouldn't call them far-right parties, they don't quite have the heritage of the Freedom Party in Austria. There are governments in Poland, in Hungary, to a degree in Slovakia, that have taken up a very strong anti-immigrant, anti-Islam, and quite illiberal approach, which doesn't really sit very well with the founding values of the Union. And they're struggling, really, as a collective Ralph, to what extent was the success of Norbert Hofer due to poorer white voters feeling disenfranchised and disillusioned with mainstream politics, feeling that their concerns were not being dealt with? I ask that partly because that appears to be a increasingly sort of universal theme, if you like, across Europe and now touching America, where Donald Trump is clearly surfing a wave of anger and exasperation. Was that also true in Austria? I think absolutely. A lot of people I spoke to did describe Hofer as sort of the Donald Trump of Austria, if you like. I mean, obviously, quite big differences between Austria. It's a small, affluent, open economy. But yes, it is one in which politicians are able to play on fears of ordinary people and disaffection with the establishment. The irony, if you like, is that nationalist politics have suddenly got these sort of transnational common characteristics. And so the irony is that you know, they're about focusing on individual countries. Austria first, in Austria's case, America first in, in, in America. But actually, there is lots of commonality between these different movements. Yes, and you can imagine somebody like Marine Le Pen, the far-right leader in France, really drawing sucker from Norbert Hofer's performance yeah, as she looks I mean, to uh, next year's elections. Yeah, a very similar strategy, playing on popular fears, the pro-Israeli card, if you like, as a counterpoint to their concerns about the influence of Islam over European culture and the fears that have been created on that front by the immigration crisis. Yes, similar attempts to sort of detoxify the far-right brand and make it more mainstream. Alex, does the EU have a sense of what it might need to do to stop the populist wave? The first reaction to the result is just immense relief because with Hofer in office, they would have immediately had to confront a situation they haven't seen since York Haider's Freedom Party was in government in Austria. And Jean-Claude Juncker, who's commission president, before the vote said don't vote for Hoffer, and while it was on a knife edge, said, we're not going to deal with him as we would a normal head of state if he comes into office. Some people would applaud that in Brussels, but you know it risks looking very anti-democratic. He's just been elected. And the question is, and how would they cold shoulder him? In the case of York Haider with Austria, there was a collective response to kind of shun Austria for a while, but it didn't hold. It caused a backlash in Austria, and everyone thought that this wasn't a great way of handling things. EU now has new rules to try and bring back countries that are veering from what they see as rule of law standards by threats of sanctions, investigations, recommendations. It's a process that Hungary went through, that Poland is going through at the moment. But the big, big Achilles heel is that it can be stopped by a veto of one member state. So if Poland is in the firing line, Hungary, and Viktor Orban has said this, can say, we're not going to allow any sanction against Poland. So it's a 
blunt weapon on the legal side. And politically, all of these member states, to varying degrees, are facing this populist problem at home. And it just makes the response very, very difficult. We should, of course, point out populist forces in Europe are not just far right. They're also firmly on the left or far left, whether it's Podemos in Spain or Syriza in Greece. They are also challenging mainstream politics, if you like. But I wonder, Alex, do you think that an improvement in the eurozone economy, the return of growth, the fall of unemployment, which we're just beginning to see the signs of, will that help contain the populist surge? hard to know and whether the real convulsions in politics at the moment that you do find after big financial and economic crises will settle down as things pick up. On a political level, an issue that many mainstream parties across Europe will have to face is, do we work with these people? So in France, at local level, should they form coalitions at all with the National Front? In Germany, at local level, with the Alternative for Deutschland? And is it a good idea to bring them into the kind of mainstream government process to show that there isn't the magic that they claim to have from the sidelines. And, you know, in Finland, the true Finns won the election last time. They went into government with a post. They're now not doing very well at all. They're down to low eights. So it's not a kind of inexorable rise for populist parties necessarily in polls. And the question is, A, are the fundamentals changing in a way to make them less attractive? And B, is there anything politicians can do at a local and national level to maybe blunt their appeal to the public and bring them down to earth? In that sense, perhaps Austria is a bit of a dress rehearsal for France next year when no doubt we'll all be talking about, once again, a far-right surge. My thanks to Ralph Atkins and to Alex Barker. World Weekly is produced by Hannah Murphy. Until next week, goodbye. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover... Who was their best mentor? What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.